Once again, there was uh, quite a few words I offered this morning, uh, various different themes, and so I'm sure there are likely to be uh, questions or things to clarify. So please do uh, feel most welcome. Good morning, Ajahn. Good morning. Um, yesterday, uh, you were talking about how Ajahn Sumedho uh, thought about loving kindness in the context of loving kindness, how it was possible to love without liking. <laughs> okay. And uh, maybe uh, if we can uh, love, then we can like, and maybe we can emulate later, if possible. Just this is my thought. So, uh, does it involve an aspect of generosity, uh, giving dana? And if it does, what kind of dana would that be? Amisadana, avayadana, or dhammadana, or it can be any of this. And if it was possible to use that uh, to love without liking, was it also possible to use that to like without uh, emulating? What was the last part? To like without emulating. 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 Oh. There's a, a few things there in that, uh, those questions. Um, uh, we we can be kind to things that are unlikable, and so that if you have a if you had a headache for three days, you can't like it, but you don't have to hate it, or fear it, or resent it. If there is um, a difficult neighbor who causes you all kinds of troubles in your home, um, that is not something that's uh, maybe likable, but you can be kind towards that which is not likable. So that uh, so you're not trying to pretend or make yourself like the unlikable, uh, a three-day headache or a, a neighbor who's constantly starting lawsuits with you <laughs> but uh, you can be uh, you can be kind you cannot dwell in aversion so it's finding that place in the heart because it's you're not trying to to make the sweet bitter or the bitter sweet you know you're not trying to to uh, sort of pretend what is not there but rather to uh, change the angle of of um, uh, of Approach or the angle of appreciation, so that even something that is is painful or difficult, you can refuse to hate. You can you can uh, you can be kind towards even that which is unlikable, um, and not to dwell in aversion. So that's really the, the essence of that quality of of radical acceptance. Uh, so I hope that's helpful. Yeah, in terms of uh, how that relates to generosity, um, dana means generous. Again, I, I'm aware a few people are not familiar with the Buddhist terminology. So dana means generosity. And in the, the, the scriptures, in the teachings, uh, the, the Buddha speaks about different types of generosity, different modes of that kind of uh, giving. And uh, many different teachings he gives. And one set of categories is the giving of material things is called amisa dana. So the uh, giving, um, uh, the offering flowers uh, and uh, incense to the shrine, a material offering or offering food uh, to somebody who's hungry 
is a, a Misa Dana or offering some money to support Deer Park Institute. That's, that's all Amisa Dana, material offerings. Uh, so then the second kind of uh, offering in this particular categorization is Abhaya Dana. Abhaya, abhaya is fear, Abhaya is fearlessness, Abhaya Dana is the giving of fearlessness. And so that means that other beings don't need to be afraid. And this, it, uh, this uh, hinges a lot around uh, keeping the precepts. And uh, one of the teachings, uh, the, the basic uh, moral code that the Buddha suggested for the lay community. Um, and uh, the one particular sutta that I like to quote is uh, it's called the, uh, the Streams of Merit, the Eight Streams of Merit. And he says, um, punya, the streams of punya or blessing. He says that there are these eight great streams of merit, like eight powerful rivers of blessing that uh, human beings, people can, can access. You know, the first three are taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, taking, take, really taking to heart those three refuges, making those, those three refuges the central qualities in your life. So those are the first three great streams of blessing. And then the, the, the last five are the five precepts. And he goes on to explain this as very uh, significant teaching, and it's not referred to very much, but I feel it's very, uh, very important. He says, if you take the precept to not take life, to not kill, then you give to immeasurable, innumerable beings freedom from fear, freedom from distress, freedom from anxiety, and in turn you give to yourself freedom from fear, freedom from distress, freedom from anxiety. If you undertake the precept not to steal, not to take what is not given, then you give to other beings freedom from fear, freedom from distress, freedom from anxiety, and so on. If you, uh, if you refrain from sexual misconduct, uh, if you're responsible in your sexual relations and not taking advantage of people, then again you give immeasurable freedom from fear, freedom from distress, for others and for yourself. If you don't tell lies and if you don't use intoxicants in the same way, you, you give this freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from distress to others and to yourself. And so it's a, it's a giving. And often when we consider the precepts, we don't think of them, if you do consider the precepts, <laughs> but it's a, we can relate to it as like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, a kind of a lot of don't. And, um, and feeling the, the, the precepts, or especially in the West, the people uh, uh, are somewhat resistant to the idea of a moral code, like the sort of uh, commanding deity that says, you know, thou shalt not. <laughs> and they think, well, I don't want morality. It's just too restricting. It's too oppressive. It's, I don't want to be told what to do. Um, but this, uh, the approach of the Buddha is very, very different here. It's saying, if you choose not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, not to engage in sexual misconduct, not to use intoxicants, then that's a great blessing for you. <laughs> it's a great peace of, uh, of mind, peace of heart for you, and it's a great blessing for the people around you. And uh, just on ordinary everyday terms, uh, apayadana, when you come in the room, then people don't think, oh, it's him again, you know, quick, you know, hide your handbag. You know, <laughs> put the silver away, you know, he's coming to visit again, you know what happened? Uh, you know what happened last time? It's like, no, oh, welcome, good to see you. They know that you don't tell lies. 
that people will trust you. People want to, to get your advice. You're not trying to get anything from them. You're not seeking advantage from, that, from them by bending the truth or trying to get something for yourself. If, you're, if you keep the third precept, then people are, are, know that it's, you're quite safe to have around their partners or their children or the, or the people that are close to them or you're not going to flirt with them or try to deceive your partner or, or you're not trying to, to um, say, uh, engage in any way that creates negative, uh, tense relationships between yourself uh, and others. And so it's a... Uh, 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 it's a great favor to yourself. People know it's this this person's fine to be around. They're really trustworthy. They they are they are they're they're safe, <laughs> and that uh, that's a, a great blessing. Knowing that there's a responsibility and a respectfulness in relationships with other people, and so that uh, and then with intoxicants, they, if people know that uh, you're not going to be <laughs> the, uh, uh, under the influence of drugs or alcohol. They they know that you're reliable. You know you're okay to drive because <laughs> you, you you haven't had any drinks. You know that you're you you can uh, take responsibility. You can make good good reliable decisions because you're you're not you're in a state of fogginess or cloudiness or deludedness. So abhayadana um, is a, is a kindness uh, in terms of behaviour. How that relates to um, uh, to loving kindness, it's being kind to yourself and being kind to others. So I say, um, whether you uh, whether you like some uh, somebody or not, um, they are still uh, positively affected by your choice to live in a responsible way. Whether you like them or not, um, they are affected by your your virtue, your the standard that you live by. Even if they might resent it, <laughs> I think well, that uh, they they um, uh, they uh, they're going to notice that, and there's going to be a quality of respect. It's a gift. Sometimes it's like holding up a mirror to somebody else's not so good conduct, um, and even if they don't like to have their faults revealed to themselves, then it's also something in the person that that can appreciate that. Uh, many years ago, uh, when Ajahn Chah was first establishing his monastery in in his province, northeast Thailand, Ubon, um, he got a lot of resistance from the, from the local uh, sort of study monasteries and, and monks. He was there was a lot of uh, jealousy, and he's a, a very strict uh, standard of conduct in the in Ajahn Chah's monastery. Like we, we never touch money, never use money. Um, uh, very strict um, uh, observance of the Vinaya discipline, and it kind of made a lot of the other monasteries not look so good. <laughs> so, uh, uh, where the um, not that people were behaving egregiously badly, but just it was a it it, uh, it revealed the, the the high standard that Ajahn Chah had made the others look a little bit shoddy or less less um, polished or less uh, less impressive. So Ajahn Chah got a lot of flack and a lot of negativity in the, these uh, uh, other monasteries were more based on study and as well the ad, ad, administrative control of the province was held. So they could make life really difficult <laughs> for Ajahn Chah's monastery in terms of just bureaucratic details of living. So he got a lot of flack and a lot of difficulty and even death threats um, 
from uh, around and about. Uh, one of his monks was actually hired as a hitman to shoot him. And uh, he was, gets your attention. <laughs> the, this very, very innocent, sweet old guy, poor Sui. Uh, I knew him as a big, he used to come and visit the monastery when I was a novice there. And he said, poor, poor Sui was an assassin? He said, oh yeah, yeah, they, he was hired as a hitman. It's not said who by, but certain forces in the province wanted Ajahn Chah out of the picture. So he was hired as a hitman, and he, he got a bit too close to Ajahn Chah, to, and he was overhearing too many of the teachings. He thought, oh, actually, this is, actually, this guy speaks a lot of sense. And like, oh, I was just trying to get close to line up my shot, but, you know. Yeah. And then after a few weeks, he realized, I think I'm going to renege on my contract. And then he went to Ajahn Chah and begged forgiveness and said, look, uh, I was hired to shoot you, but um, I, uh, I decided not to do that. But now I'm in danger from the people who hired me. So can I be a monk with you? <laughs> so sure. Can. So, uh, so uh, anyway, that's the backdrop to this. So that, but after a few years, even though uh, there was a lot of uh, criticism, negativity from these sort of more... Um, academic and bureaucratic monasteries around the area. Um, one of our monks was in this sort of um, uh, uh, local meeting with, the, um, with these high-ranking senior monks. And to his amazement, the, the, the head of the whole province said, well, all of us know there's only really one monk worthy of respect in Ubon province, and that's Ajahn Chah. Like, so even though he kind of put them to shame... And, and made them embarrassed. They still recognize, actually, he's the one that's really doing the, the job best. I'm not just saying this to sort of blow our own trumpet, but just even though there's a lot of negativity or resistance that uh, your good behavior, even if people don't like it or it's, it's intimidating, can be a, a great gift. So that's one instance where there's not much liking but that uh, the way that uh, you um, behave can be a kindness and, and, and also is, is helping to set a better standard for others. So, yeah, please. Good morning. I think what you were speaking of earlier was that us, me, or ego, to reduce that should be a process. But ego is also a driver for you to practice a few things. And I'm, I'm a little confused about this because I feel that if we try and be better, um, is it something which is driven by the ego, or is it something which can be driven, which can happen without an ego? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's a good question. I, I addressed this a couple of times yesterday already, but it's one of those things that needs looking at over and over again. So, yeah, the the effort that uh, is is made when when effort is made free of ego, free of asmi, then the the driving force is mindfulness and wisdom, which is not personal. Rather than me deciding or me making it, uh, setting this direction, it's satipanya, mindfulness and wisdom, that is the the motivating uh, guiding force, rather than uh, an, an I or me or my. Uh, quality, so that can easily slide in the back door and take over, like a 
computer virus or an Omicron virus, <laughs> very, very transmissible, the ASME virus. You know, it very easily kind of comes into the picture and takes over. But in, in a way, that's part of the challenge of Vipassana meditation is to uh, develop that acute uh, awareness of whenever that eye-making and mind-making uh, comes into the picture. But it's quite possible, and like I was describing yesterday, that the, the four aspects of, of right effort, uh, restraining the unwholesome from arising, letting go of the unwholesome if it's arisen, cultivating the wholesome, and maintaining the wholesome in being if it's arisen. All of that can be uh, actualized with no atta, no, no, uh, no self-view at all, no, no conceit. That's why it's part of the Eightfold Path. So if, if it wasn't possible for effort to be made or direction to be given, samasankapa, the second right resolution or right intention, and samawayama, they couldn't, they couldn't be part of the path. If they were intrinsically stressful or intrinsically tied up with, with ego, they couldn't be part of the Eightfold Path. But it, it's uh, learning to recognize that eye-making and mind-making kind of... Yeah, what's that smell? <laughs> I know there's something burning here. What is it? Oh, it's me. <laughs> it's that that kind of sensitivity. You're picking up that 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 fragrance. Hmm, that smell. What's going on there? I, I know that. So strengthening that acute sense of I and me and mine when that comes into the picture, and, and so it's and it's tricky. So that's where mindfulness and wisdom is is also the tool whereby that is. Uh, that consistent and acute attention notices